even though a uh, snowstorm was coming, that we had a, a beautiful sunrise. And then he quoted the phrase, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in morning, sailors take warning. So he was telling us about the approaching snowstorm. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Yeah. Do you know it's a biblical phrase? Yeah, Jesus says this. It's interesting because Jesus speaks about these, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a scientific principle in the way that 2 plus 2 equals 4 because every time you have a, a beautiful sunrise doesn't mean it's going to be stormy, but when it's a particularly red, apparently that works. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 2 and 3, when it is evening, it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. And so that really is a biblical phrase. It's kind of surprising. Uh, sometimes we take phrases that aren't biblical and make them biblical, like God helps those who help themselves, or, uh, you know, um, uh, I was thinking another, another one is uh, warm as, as snug as a bug in a rug. You know, that's not biblical. That's, uh, you know, Farmer's Almanac or Benjamin Franklin, right? So. But Jesus was actually talking, uh, you know, he had this, this principle that you can observe things and, and figure them out. But the problem comes is that when you and I look at circumstances in our lives and try to figure out what God is doing, because we don't have that ability. There's a great difference between the weather as it's going on around us, and what our sovereign God is doing by the temptations and the trials and the difficulties that he allows and even purposes in our lives. Um, I am a person who can get easily overwhelmed if I either listen to my feelings, because I tend to be an Eeyore, naturally, I never see the glass as more than half full. My naturalness without Christ, I see the glass with an empty bottom. The bottom is broken out, and everything you're pouring in it just flows out. That's the way I am naturally. So I, I have to watch my feelings, because my feelings go up and down, but I tend to be more of a pessimist than an optimist, so I have to deal with that. And then when I look at circumstances... In my own natural part, I always see the world is ending. Um, and, and the world will end at one point. We have promised that. But I'm always looking for it. And I think, oh, that's it. That's the next big thing. And sinfully, I look back on, you might remember the year 2000 and Y2K. Well, I was prepared. Uh, you don't even want to know how prepared I was. Um, I was prepared for the end and encouraged others. And so it was foolish and uh, I learned a lesson there. But that, those are my natural proclivities. And when we look, and we, if we live by our feelings or we look at circumstances, we can often be overwhelmed. I, I want you to, to look at two scriptures that would tell us that we shouldn't be that way. Okay, so let's go first to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 18 is an encouragement that, that this life isn't all there is, and, and there will be difficulties and heartaches and afflictions, uh, but we're going to look past those things in the midst of dealing with them. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. And, and so, you know, the apostle who had gone through so many things, he'd gone through beatings and starvations and uh, people trying to kill him and stoning, and, you know, the list, he had two or three different places in Scripture where you have this long list, uh, a litany uh, of items that are given to us, the apostle went through, and he, and he said, uh, and he says, sometimes I would be overwhelmed. In fact, sometimes he, he is pretty under the weather, but he says, this is what keeps me, because I know that if I live by either my feelings or the circumstances, I'm going to be overwhelmed. But I looked to the day when Christ is coming, and things will be right because it's eternal. Now, it's summed up very in a, in a little bit later. Let's just turn another chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Second Corinthians 5 verse 7. Some of you might be able to repeat this verse because it's so short you just wouldn't know the context, but you've heard it before, right? We walk by faith and not by sight, right? And, and so what we've been learning here in 2 Corinthians is we can have a tendency to look at the circumstances and to judge our lives or, 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 to, or, to, or to know the feelings that we're, 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 we have and, and even begin to doubt God and his goodness and that he's sovereign, that he's in control. Or what he's doing, if he is sovereign and in control, it doesn't seem very good to me, so he must not love me. Right? I come to those conclusions sometimes. You know? Not in my good biblical days, but in my life days, you know? Uh, I, I can think of different circumstances where I thought it was the end of the world and the way I was living. Um, the, the, first, the first congregation we went to, after about five years, we had to do some biblical discipline. Um, people were not living in good ways. They were rebelling against God. And in doing that, um, the session had to go to these individuals and, and talk to them and said that if you don't repent and change the way you're living, you can no longer be in the church. And in fact, we had to do two at the same time. They were so egregious and so hard. And then some people in the church got together and got a petition to get rid of me and the whole session uh, because we were being faithful to the Lord, right? And then I had to go, and there was about 20 families, and I had to go around to each one of them and listen to all their complaints and all the rest and say, and they just laid me out one, one after another, you know, and said how horrible it was and unloving. And it was interesting, it was a rural congregation, so everybody was related. And when you were disciplining these two people, you were really disciplining everybody, you know. Uh, and, 
and this, thankfully, the, you know, the presbytery came in and investigated and said, no, you, what you did was right. Of course, you didn't do it perfectly, as we don't this side of heaven. But when the church heard that, they loved Scripture even more than, them, than, than, than their own feelings and relationships with each other. And it's a very strong, vibrant church today. And I believe a part of that was because they were able to go through that. But um, in the midst of that, out of nowhere, we got a call from a church in uh, uh, Iowa that, that I never, you know, I, I didn't know who they were, except that years ago when I first was going to be a pastor, sent a resume out. They lost their pastor, had my resume, and said, would you come out and candidate? And in the midst of that, I said, sure. <laughs> you know, but, but I wasn't going by necessarily biblical principles. I was overwhelmed. I thought everything was against me. And, uh, and I saw that as an escape. And we went out there, and 100% of the pulpit committee wanted us, and 100% of the other thing, and we needed a certain percentage. But when the vote came, it, it wasn't the percentage that we wanted, and so uh, we didn't go. And the best thing in the world I did was, by God's grace, to stay with that session in that church for another five years until I was called away because... Um, I learned to trust God, and I didn't have to live by my feelings or the circumstances. I still battle that all the time, you know, but I have a history of knowing that God is faithful and his word, so I don't have to give in to them. I'm the kind of a person that if it were up to me, some days I would just go in bed, pull pull the covers over my head, and hibernate, and hope it gets better, right? But of course, those things never do get better. So, um, it was good for me to realize that there are others in the scriptures that got to the same place. They, they began to doubt God's love and his sovereignty and his care. Um, I'm going to take just a few minutes to look at the life of Jacob. So, what do we know about Jacob? What do we know about his name? Okay. Uh, yes. Do you know what Sir Planter means since you raised your hand? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And so that. It was a picture of what happened when he was born. Do you remember what happened when he was born? Let's just turn there. We'll, be, we'll go back. So we'll see how he kind of starts. And this is a picture of his whole life. So let's go to Genesis 25. And this happens at his birth. Genesis 25. Genesis 25, verses 21 to 26. Will someone read that for me? Great.
So Jacob, from the very beginning, uh, in God's providence, he comes out grabbing his brother's heel, you know, and he's trying to, 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 to get there first, to push him out of the way, not to serve. He wants to be ruling. And so he gets this name Jacob, heel grabber, surplanter, stealer, deceiver. Does that prove to be true? Where? What, what happens that it proves to be true? Do you remember? Yeah, tell us about that, Mike. Sum it up. It's a long story, Mike. You're getting there. Yeah. You know, he even got it was in cahoots with his mother yeah. on this, right? And so they 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 dress him up. In a, in a coat, so, you know, Isaac's uh, eyes are dim, and they, and they make him smell and look like his brother, and so it's just this whole big deception so that he'll have his father lay his hands on him and give him the blessing, and once the blessing's there, uh, Esau comes in later, it's gone, right? So he did that. How else? But something happened even before then. Yeah, and the kind at the time, you know, Esau comes in, he's famished, right? And like most of us, you know, if you ask a kid, you know, on his birthday, uh, you know, or he's something else, you know, what would you like now, an ice cream cone today or a bicycle in a month, right? Well, the kid wants the ice cream, big ice cream cone that's dripping in the hot day, right? And so, you know, that's what Esau, so he stole his birthright then, and then he steals the blessing later, right? Um, so he really is a wicked guy. Yeah, later on. It's, it's, it's something that happens the whole way through his life. Um, later on, in, in some of the Psalms, God calls Jacob and to remind him, he says, you worm, Jacob. Because he's reminding him of the type of guy he is, right? He's a trickster. He's a sinner, right? And yet God in his mercy calls him to himself. Do you remember when? Going through these memory banks now. Mark? Yeah. God has this one-on-one -on -one time with him where they wrestle together. And at the end, he wrestles with God, but God puts his hip out of joint and shows him his weakness, and he has to limp the rest of his life. But he comes to know his God then, and his name is changed. From trickster to what? Yeah. Israel. 
Of all names, we're pretty familiar with that, right? So, you know, there's this big change. And even though he deserves really bad stuff, and he's ready for his, when he meets up with his brother again for him to kill him, how does he prepare the way when he meets his brother? Does anybody remember? James? Yeah, he was with Laban and tricked him. Didn't really deserve it. He's got his brother who he's tricked. And his brother had said after they left, I'm going to kill you. I mean, so it was pretty clear what was going to happen. So he sends all these sheep, you know. Then he sends all these goats. Then he says all his servants. And finally he sends his children, wife, and everybody else. And so, you know, his brother had promised to kill him. But what does God and his mercy do when his brother meets him? Yeah. And he hugs him and he's glad to see his brother. Amazing, right? It's amazing what God does with tricksters, tricksters, with wicked people, with sinners. Right? They deserve to have horrible things happening to him, but God calls him to himself and is merciful to him even in the midst of that. Does that remind you of anybody's stories? It reminds me of mine. Right? I came out of the womb a trickster. You know? I wanted what I wanted. I was selfish. You know? I didn't care about my brother. We fought like cats and dogs every day after school. You know? I didn't deserve any of God's mercy. I didn't care about God's mercy. I was worried about building my own life and reputation. You know, and yet God was merciful to me through my life over and over again and finally calls me to himself. So here you have this trickster who spent most of his life in rebellion towards God, yet God is good to him. God calls him to himself. They, they wrestle, then he leaves him with this limp because he shows him, you are weak, trust me. So every day... Jacob's got a limp. And that limp should remind him of God's mercy. It wasn't a limp to put there to, to slow him down in the sense of not have him be able to do life. It was a limp put then graciously by God to say, you need me. It doesn't work when you're a trickster. It works when you trust me. Trick or trust. What's it going to be? All right. And so he has this whole history of God being faithful to him. Well, that's his life. Jacob also has some sons. How many? Huh? A dozen. What do we know about his sons? Pardon? 
They become the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're divided off a little more. What do we know about his first son? Let me uh, look here a second. You're saying, tw- what's 20, read 29.32. Just, just go ahead and read it. Okay. Let's say this. I asked the question wrong. Who was his most beloved son? Joseph. Thank you. You're right. He might not have been the first. So, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, James. Because I was going, wait a minute. His most beloved son was Joseph, right? And, uh, and uh, what, did the, what did the other 11 brothers do with Joseph? Tried to kill him, but they didn't, right? One of them stood in there and said, please don't do that. And so what they do with Joseph? Okay. So he was his most beloved son, and for 20 years as we're going to come upon the scripture today, he has been bereaving this first son. And we come now, and where we're going to start, actually, and we're going to open the scripture here, because we're going to get to this phrase. And this phrase in scripture is one that I think is not just Jacob's. Because Jacob, like the rest of us, struggled to walk by faith and not by sight. And he comes to the circumstance near the end of his life where there is a famine in Israel. Um, Joseph has been dead for 20 years. They, he sent his boys into Egypt to get food. Remember the promise that, that Joseph, we, actually who was in Egypt, he thinks is dead. He has been preparing because there would be seven years of plenty, Right? And then seven years of famine. They've had these seven years of plenty where God uh, called Joseph to store up all this grain and silos. Uh, They're interesting. Their silos didn't go up. They were big pits in the ground. So they were just opposite kind of ours. But he had stored this grain in the silos. uh, But um, Jacob just knew there was grain during this difficult time. So he sends his boys uh, to Egypt. They come back um, without one of them. Um, Simeon, I think it is. They come back without Simeon, and they're said, when we go back, we better take Benjamin with us. That's what it, how it ends up. So let's go to Genesis chapter 42. They've been sent back 
by Joseph. They didn't know that the second command who they'd been talking to, Joseph has been uh, uh, saying that they were spies, um, but he gives them some money and sends them back. I think it was without Simeon. And um, he says, bring Benjamin back when you come. And uh, when we, but what had, what had happened when they came back with the food? What, what, what caused them to fear when they came back with their, their, their big sacks of grain? Yeah, yeah. Joseph had all their money put back. And so now they think we're going to be, they're going to think we stole this money if we ever go back again. Right? And so now they're terrified. So, remember, as we read the scripture, what happened? Jacob starts out as the trickster. He doesn't, he's just known that way. That's what he actually is. That's what Jacob means. God is gracious to him even before he becomes a believer. And then he draws him to himself and leaves him with this limp that says, every step, remember me. Remember your Israel. Remember I'm faithful. Right? So he has, God was gracious to give him this limp, but he finds himself in this difficult situation where he has his feelings. He's feeling afraid. He's feeling overwhelmed for his boys. He'd lost Joseph and now Simeon. And now maybe the whole Egyptians are going to come after us. This food isn't going to last that long. What are we going to do? We can't go back there. And so he, he has this history of God being faithful to him, even though he has been unfaithful. But this is how we find Jacob. So let's look at uh, in Genesis chapter 42. And we're coming to the point where they empty their sacks. They've come home and they've found the money in the sacks and they know they're in trouble. Genesis 42 and 35 And as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to him, You've bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. King James Version just says it the way we would. Surprisingly, it says, everything is against me. Have you ever said that? Maybe not out loud? Have you ever said that in your heart? As you get up and deal with your day or difficulties or certain periods in your life? Have you ever said, everything is against me? Well, I've already told you of one time I have, but there have been others. And so, when I read this, I see myself. You know? And one of the joys that I have, first of all, is that there are others in the Scriptures that go through the same things I do. You know, there are times when God's people say, everything is against me. Godly people. He had now become a believer in God. He'd had these 12 boys. He had this limp. He knew that God was faithful. And yet, he's not 
going, but he knows to be true about the living God, but he's living by his feelings. It says they were afraid, and he's living by the circumstances. This one's not here, and that one's not here, and this one's going to go, and he cries out, everything is against me. I, didn't, I saw a couple nods when I said, do you ever feel that way? You might not say it out loud. I saw a couple sort of little smiles, but I didn't really see that anybody else except me deals with that. Um, oh my. <laughs> do, do, that should at least tell you, if nothing else, that this Sunday school thing, you should pray for your pastor and you should pray for your elders. Right? Uh, this is serious stuff. Right? It really is. Um, James is back there. See, James, you in that back section, you're in his group. All right, and uh, Mike, uh, no, I got to have, uh, yeah, Mike, 
you take your couple rows there. You're, you're, you're kind of with them, and you're going to head them up. And uh, um, I'm splitting you up in groups. And so, Andre, you'll kind of take this group in here, all right? And uh, Mark, you're going to take this group right here, okay? And I just want you to go sit beside each other because I'm going to divide in groups because I want you to do something. You're going to have an assignment here. Uh, you, you could turn the chairs or just go sit beside each other and turn the chairs. Yeah. All right. Here's your group. I might not be very clear. This is. Th this will be your group right here. First, these three rows. So just go all near each other, right? And there's your group. And here's your group. There's your group. Okay. Here's your question. This is your question for your group to figure out. I want you to list and figure out at least three other people in the Scriptures that they might not have said, everything is against me, but they all but did that because of the circumstances they were in. They doubted God's love and care. They doubted God was in control and that he cared. All right? So that's going to have to put on your thinking caps and see if you can come up with three examples because what we'll find out here is... Oh, man, he's got three already. He's been thinking. So three at least three examples. Oh, and actually, since there's... Just in case you all, excuse me, try to come up with four in case all of you have the same. Oh, no! <laughs> Move over closer, Rob, so you can hear them, buddy. All right. But talk about them. See if you can think of more. You only have about five minutes. And then, and then see if you can find where in the Scripture it is. <laughs> it's helpful if you can find where in the Scripture it is. So we can actually read their words. Yeah. 
If two minutes. One more minute. Thirty seconds. All right, it's time to uh, close up shop. All right, we're going to close up shop. I need to have a report. Your group should be, you're done as far as you can do. Okay. Um, yes, sir. No. If, if, if you would have been on time and we could have started a class on time, it would have been okay. But uh, <laughs> All right, um, Mike, if uh, you would give us one example from yours. Okay, do you have any time where you actually have the scripture where he's saying... You know, I'm overwhelmed here. Wait a minute. Please be quiet. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I probably should know that, but I'm Apparently, it's entitled with a Psalm of David, right? And uh, is there anything that connects it back to that, or reference or anything like that? That time? Someone has that? Okay. 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 Thank you. Yeah, David, we know many times, you know, was overwhelmed, right? So many of the Psalms that we have, you know, I've cried out. Why aren't you answering? Right? And here's David, a man after God's own heart, and one of the things that encourage us in that is that he had to deal with circumstances and feelings, and they weren't always right, and he had to work at lining them up, right? He had to talk to himself. I call this preaching to yourself. I hope that all of you are preachers, even the ladies, but to yourselves. You know, you're preaching the Word of God to yourselves because you feel some way, or you look at this, and you say, it's all against me, right? And our brother David certainly 
had those situations, right? And he cried out that way. But then we find out, and he was even a man after God's own heart, but we find out in the end that he, that he trusted God. You know, he, he also wrote, the same fellow writes Psalm 23, right? Because he knows, uh, he knows how to put his, his heart back where it belongs. He knows where to go back to and, uh, and who is his shepherd and who does care for him, right? So that's, that's the joy of that. But David and the Psalms, that's why so many people like the Psalms, right? Not only the ones that rejoice, but the ones when our heart is breaking, we realize that someone before us, heart is broken and they're fearful and they're overwhelmed, but God has been faithful. Okay, this group here. Where do, where do we find Gideon when God first comes to him? Where does he find him? Threshing floor, only it normally is done on a hill. He was down in a hiding where he was trying to be. Yeah, he was at least hiding or maybe even in a pit, you know. So, uh, you know, he was struggling uh, with all that right then. All right, this group here. Okay. Sure. Yeah, and we certainly know if anybody that we, th- we think maybe should give up on God, right, it would have been Job, right? He started off good, he had real, but, you know, just things keep coming on, and these guys come to him, and, you know. Um, not yet. We have one more group to do, and we only have just a little bit of time. Thank you. Uh, okay, James, does your group have any?
Where is that in Jeremiah? Yeah. Okay, let me... Uh, you can just mention the one that you were thinking of. Yeah, he quotes that, humanly speaking, what he's going through because God is turning his head uh, from him humanly because he's taking on this sin, right? And so, and, but thankfully he didn't doubt, he, he said, you know, struggling. Uh, others I thought of were uh, Elijah with Jezebel. Remember he's being uh, chased and all the rest, and then he said he's lying there and he wants to die. Um, Elijah and his servant... The servant comes out, and he looks on the hills, and they're, and they're surrounded by the enemy that had come overnight. And, uh, and, and so he's overwhelmed, and he goes back to Elijah and says, what shall we do? Uh, Esther and Mordecai, the ups and downs that happen in the book of Esther. You know? So those who go before us, you know, sometimes you know, it, we, need to, we need to come near to people who are struggling with that and come beside them and in the midst of them show them the truth that God still is caring and all the rest but but uh, but the saints who have gone before us have felt this way at times and we don't just go right next to them and say all right buck up but we come beside them and then carefully show them the truth and and one of the things that I love about this story of Jacob is the reality of what was going on when Jacob makes the statement. Let me go back and read what Jacob says, and then I'm going to read this. We only have time from the short quote from Charles Spurgeon. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin, and all this has come against me. Right? So his feeling and the circumstances say to him, All is lost. God doesn't care. But the truth was of what was happening is this. In Jacob's case, it was a very plausible verdict. This is from Charles Spurgeon. Yet, plausible as the old man's mournful conclusion was, it was not correct. And hence, led us to learn to avoid rash judgment and never in any case conclude against the faithfulness of the Lord. There may be particularities in our case which look as if the Master has treated us with harshness of a cruel one. There may be thorns of unusual sharpness in our pillow, but we must not dream that anger placed them there. Sitting alone in your sorrow, crushed out of all hope, you claim the unhappy right to declare, all these things are against me. Yet, beloved, it is not so. Our notion of our trials is very apt to present them an exaggerated number. But when we come to count our mercy, mercies, as the usual rule of our tendency is to diminish them, we magnify the host of our troubles and underestimate the armies of our benefits. Yet in reality, nothing could be further from the truth with Joseph. Joseph was not only not dead, but had come to the prime minister of Egypt appointed by God for the salvation of their lives in the famine. Simeon was well cared for and protected by Joseph. Joseph was seeking Benjamin to give him a double portion and to bring Jacob 
and his family safe to Egypt. You see, what he could see by his feelings in his eyes was everything is against me. But what was happening at that point? Everything was for him. But he couldn't see it or feel it. Have you, any of you read Corey Tenboom's The Hiding Place? You know about her story and the Holocaust and all the rest? After going through that, one of the things that she did um, was to make a tapestry. And when you look at this tapestry, if you go to her house in Harlem, it's there. And it's normally turned... It's on a tapestry that has glass on both sides of the frame that the tapestry is in. And where it starts out, when you go there, the people who run the house put it so that it's, you see the tapestry with the back of it, with all the knots and all the strings, right? And, and, and you can't really make out what the tapestry is. And it's just difficult. And below it, she has this poem about life is but a weaving. It says this, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why the dark threads are needful? And then it says, In the weaver's skillful hand, as the threads of gold and silver, in the pattern he has planned, he knows he loves and cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. And when she after you read it, you're supposed to turn it over and you see what the actual tapestry is. And it's a crown, a golden crown, you know, the crown of life. Right? But, but you doubt what it could be or how beautiful it is because all you can see are the knot and strings. We're saying, and, and Edith Schaefer does something very similar pictures, that we see this life so often, we see the back of the tapestry. We don't understand what God's doing as he's conforming us to Christ. And how could we possibly be conformed to Christ the way I'm acting or the way my life is or all the rest? But the truth is that God is always working on the other side through all those things that turn us to make us and conform us to Christ. And so it's a matter of faith. And so we have to preach to ourselves the truth that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose that we might be the firstborn among many brothers as we're conformed to the image of Christ. So, do you go, are you an Eeyore or do you go through those times at different things and have you said, everything is against me? I want you to be preachers. I want you to preach what the saints have had to preach to themselves before, the truth of God. That he has called them to himself and he has loved them and he is working to conform us to Christ and all these things. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the scriptures and how 
you have laid before us the saints who are just, none of them are imperfect. Even the one who would say, the man after our own heart, your own heart, even David, was pointing to the one who would be born of his line, the Messiah, David, who was perfect, Jesus. So we look to him, and Lord, would you help us be preachers to ourselves when we're overwhelmed and we would say, everything is against me, that we would preach the truth, that all things are working together for good, that you would conform us to the image of your Son, Christ. Give your people great hope and encouragement today. For Jesus' sake and name, amen. Mike, I knew that uh, things were tough from time to time uh, in the past, but uh, to hear of that is just hey, heartrending. Hey, good-looking tie you got there. Hey, hey, you found one. Shocking. Way to go. Shocking.
Yeah. 